0: Well, I invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and this morning we'll be looking at uh, verse 4 and 5, and the passage I think fits well with our uh, emphasis this morning uh, just on suffering and persecution, and the Apostle Paul is addressing the Thessalonians as worthy sufferers, so we're going to examine what he means by that uh, as we Look at our passage together this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So please uh, give careful attention to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever stronger. Greater, Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering." And may God bless the reading of his word. Well, this is really, to me, a challenging passage. Uh, It's going to challenge, in some ways, our view of suffering. You know, from the worldly perspective, suffering really of any kind should be avoided at all costs. But that's really not the biblical view of suffering, it certainly shouldn't be for the believer. Because suffering has a very vital role in preparing us for glory. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul is going to emphasize to the Thessalonians in our passage uh, this morning. It's, a challenging, it's also challenging to, um, to, to interpret because of some of the language that is here. So we'll give it our, our best shot with the Lord's help to, to explain it together this morning. So as we begin, let's, uh, let's look at verse 4, and notice what Paul is, uh, in the context of giving thanks for their faith and their love, which is growing and abounding, he says in verse 4 that we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So this idea of Paul speaking proudly about them, boasting, if you will, as some translations have, is concerning their perseverance and faith. So Paul was, was telling all the other churches, man, the church at Thessalonica, these guys, they're, they're, they're enduring all kinds of persecutions and afflictions, but man, they are persevering in faith. And he was so enthused, he would just he would boast about them to the other churches. Now, let, let's qualify Paul's boasting as we commented on a couple of weeks ago when we looked at, at uh, verse 3 and verse 4. That when Paul is boasting, he's really boasting in the Lord. Remember, Paul would say in other places, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I think this is true here. I don't think Paul is boasting in their perseverance and their faith because in some way they have ginned that up themselves. I think this is in the context that he's praising God for their faith, meaning that God gave them their faith, and their faith is tied to their perseverance. So he's really boasting in what the Lord's grace has done in their lives. And I think that's a proper way to understand this. Uh, again, he's already thanked God for their growing faith in verse 3. And in verse 4, he is now boasting in their perseverance in faith. Well, what causes perseverance? Well, it's our, it's our faith. Faith is actually the root of our perseverance. And he's already thanked God for their faith their faith is now persevering in the midst of tribulation. So he's boasting in what God has done in their midst by giving them this, this faith, growing their faith, resulting in their perseverance. So I think he is definitely boasting in the Lord. If you remember James chapter 1, verse 3. James reminds us that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So faith is the root. Perseverance is the fruit. He's already acknowledged that God has given them their faith, is growing their faith, and that's resulting in their perseverance. He's blessing God. He's praising God. He's boasting in the Lord. And we also know in other places that we looked at last time that God is the author of our perseverance. It's by His grace working in us. So again, Paul is boasting And just their perseverance and their faith. I think this is included. He's giving thanks to God for their perseverance and faith. He's already thanked God for their growing faith. So all this seems to fit together. But notice the context of their perseverance and faith in verse 4. It's in the midst of all their persecutions and afflictions. See, their persevering faith was not because of frustrations. That you got stuck at a red light and it seems to be going on forever and ever, or you got stuck in line at the grocery store and you're trying to persevere through that trial, or you get up in the middle of the night and you stub your toe and you're, you know, it's it's something more serious than that. It's persecution. It's the afflictions because they love Christ because of of the Gospel. That's the persecution and afflictions that they were persevering through by the grace of God. Some of those believers in the church of Thessalonica may have lost their jobs because of their faith. Some may have been scorned by their neighbors. Oh, you're kidding. You're one of those Christians. Some may have been arrested and beaten and imprisoned, like in other places in the world today, like it's happening to. It was painful abuse physically, mentally, as a result of their faith in Christ, their love for the Lord, and they were enduring all the repercussions of the world. If you compare this with what Paul himself personally endured, remember in 2 Corinthians, he spoke of some of his own personal trials and persecutions. He said in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received the Jewish 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So with that kind of animosity, you can imagine what the Thessalonians were going through. Maybe not to the degree or intensity of the Apostle Paul. But they were suffering. They were being persecuted. They were being afflicted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So they were sorely tried and tested. But God's grace was enabling them to stand. They, they did not fall away from Christ. They persevered. Their faith was still strong. They stood in the midst of the fires of persecution like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in the midst of the fires, the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. God was sustaining them. God was with them. They were persevering in their faith. And oh how Paul must have boasted to all the other churches of God's grace in the church of Thessalonica. The other churches may not have been persecuted as much as they were But Paul was so thankful to God, he was so rejoicing in God's grace that he was boasting about them to the other churches. So their sufferings, their persecution must have been severe. And there's really no greater evidence of God's grace in our life than we persevere in times of afflictions and times of suffering. That's one of the greatest witnesses of God's grace in our life is how we respond to the trials of our life. And for this particular church, they were rich in grace and they were responding in persevering faith because of the Lord's mercy to them. As we go on and read, uh, we now come to verse 5. And Paul says in verse 5 that this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Now this raises a lot of questions. What is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment? What what is Paul talking about here? Well, God's righteous judgment on one hand Is going to be manifested towards all the unbelievers. And that's actually will be Paul's topic in verses 6 through 9. We're not there yet, but God's righteous judgment is definitely part of what's being indicated. In other words, the fact that these unbelievers were persecuting Christ's brethren, the children of God, God is righteous in judging those people who are persecuting His church. So that's part of the righteous judgment that is referred to here in verse 5. But again, that will be picked up later on. There's actually another direction that this righteous judgment goes in. And that's in terms of the way God is dealing with His church. Notice in verse 5 again, that this, probably referring to their persevering faith in times of persecution, is plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom. So there's a sense in which God's righteous judgment, on the one hand, will be poured out in judgment upon unbelievers, but there's another sense in which God's righteous judgment is upon the church to make them worthy of the kingdom. So that's a kind of a, an unusual use of the word righteous judgment. We normally don't think of God dealing with His children using the word judgment. We know, of course, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know we're not going to have any kind of judgment in that sense. So what does he mean here, that their persevering faith in times of persecution is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment? Well, the commentaries suggest two ideas here. The first one is that our persevering faith is evidence of God's verdict of justification upon believers. That the righteous judgment is the idea that God was righteous when He judged or declared them righteous when they came to faith in Jesus Christ. The idea of justification. Their persevering in faith now in times of tribulation is the evidence that they were justified. And God was righteous in justifying them. Their faith was real. It is persevering as evidence that God was righteous and just in declaring them justified when they first came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one way we can understand this. That's the, so that their persevering faith is clear evidence that they have been genuinely saved. Their faith is real. They've been justified by God. They've been declared righteous in His sight based on faith alone in Christ alone. So that their faith is evidence that God was righteous in His verdict in pronouncing them justified and saved. So again, that's the idea. Maybe an illustration, uh, in the wintertime you can go out, maybe, and uh, let's say to trees, they have no leaves on them, no fruit on them. And you can look at a tree and you can declare that's an apple tree. Well, there's no fruit, there's no leaves. You know, you really, from your normal observation, you may not know that it's an apple tree. But wait some time, and that tree will sprout leaves in the spring and blossoms and then produce apples later on in the summer. The apples, therefore, is the evidence that your judgment, your verdict... Your assessment of that tree was righteous. It was good. It is an apple tree. But you don't always people don't know that until there's been some fruit that's been born. But that renders God's justification as a righteous judgment. So that's that's one view of how to interpret this. And I think it has some merit. But there's another view where God's righteous judgment based upon their persevering faith in times of persecution, is the judgment of sending those trials and sending those persecutions to sanctify them and make them more like Christ. This is another way that, they, that many interpret it. Let me show you another passage that uses the word judgment in a similar way. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Now notice how that suffering is described in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So notice here, Peter is saying that the suffering that Christians are going through it's part of God's judgment that begins with the household of God. Now, it's not judgment in the sense of condemnation, but it is a judgment in the sense of trials that, that bring sanctifying influences into the household of God. It's a judgment not of going to hell, not of being condemned, but it's a judgment of God bringing these things into their life to ultimately... Make them more like the Savior. And that seems to be the idea that Peter has. And notice it's their suffering is part of God's judgment that begins with the household of God. Again, it's not the way we normally think of the word judgment, but that's the way Peter seems to use it. And I think it's the same way that the Apostle Paul can be using it in the verse 5. So here it is. Their persevering faith in the midst of their persecutions and afflictions is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. God was righteous in sending those persecutions and afflictions because He has a purpose in them to sanctify us. And in doing so, that's a righteous judgment. It's one that will bring Him honor. It's one that He's right to do. So, so what's the purposes of our persecution and afflictions? What is the righteous judgment trying to accomplish in our lives by sending persecutions and afflictions? Well, there's many scripture that talk about how these uh, persecutions and afflictions are a part of God's righteous work in purifying and refining us. So that our trials, the trials that you're going through even today, is a part of God's training camp whereby He is mortifying our pride, building character in our lives so that our, our saving faith is designed to be tested. It's designed to be tried. That's, that's the very nature and it's God's righteous judgment that our faith be tried and be tested to help it to grow. In other words, the faith that we have as believers is not designed to be shielded from trials and sufferings and troubles. We're not to be encased in bubble wrap and put into a closet so that we never experience any friction or affliction from the world. No, our faith is to be lived out and to be hammered. Our faith is to be put in the ring to have to fight Our faith is to be exercised and tested and tried and bruised and gut punched so that it can be tested so that if it's real faith, it will persevere through that trial. And God is righteous. There's a righteous judgment of God in purifying the faith of His children through persecutions and afflictions. You can also throw in the idea of God's righteous judgment in the, in the form of His righteous discipline of His children. That's a form of judgment. But we Hebrews chapter 12 calls it by another word and that's divine discipline. Still a form of judgment in this sense. That the Father so loves His children, all of His children, that He is ordained discipline to come in our life whenever we fall into sin that He so chooses and deems worthy of being disciplined. When He does that, because He loves us, those afflictions and those persecutions will enable us to share His holiness, to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So that's also a part of God's righteous judgment that can come into your life and my life through persecutions and afflictions. It can also help us to enter into the fellowship with Christ. Christ suffered persecution and afflictions. And we too must learn what it means to enter into the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And of course, even most of all, just to be conformed to His image. God is righteous in His judgment that His children's faith be tried by persecutions and afflictions so that we can not only identify with Christ, but be, become conformed more to His image. It was God's righteous judgment that Jesus go to the cross to suffer persecutions and afflictions from the world. And it's God's righteous judgment that His church followed that very same pattern. So this is another way to interpret uh, what Paul is saying here. And I think that this also makes uh, great sense. If you look, for example, at uh, Romans 8, it is absolutely necessary that you and I go through a measure or a level of suffering in our Christian life. It's a part of it. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. Okay, we understand that. Spirit of God indwells us, and He testifies with our human spirit that in fact we belong to God, we're His children. Verse 17, And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now notice the qualification. If indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. We all want the future glory. All of God's children are heading there. But now we're in the phase of suffering with Him that we might be glorified with Him. You cannot separate Suffering from glory in God's redemptive plan. His son had to suffer before he entered his glory. He had to go to the cross before he wore the crown. That was his pattern. And we being conformed to his image must conform to the same pattern. Suffering now, then glory. The suffering helps to prepare us for glory. That's why suffering is so valuable in the life of God's children. That's the pattern with His Son and that's the pattern with us. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He suffered the very wrath of God in our place on the cross. On the third day, He arose from the dead. Then He ascended to the right hand of God the Father. Now He's in glory. But before He wore the crown of glory, He had to endure the shame of the cross, the agony, the pain of the cross. That's the pattern for us. And God is righteous in His judgment to use that pattern to conform us to the very image of His Son. The cross before the crown. It's a pattern of the Redeemer. It's a pattern for the redeemed. So this is part of God's righteous judgment. And if you question or think and get bewildered with why all the problems and why all the suffering have to come into my life. Why do I have to endure all these things? It's a part of God's plan. Because all of God's people will be destined to Persecution and suffering at some level. Again, look at what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's one of those promises of the Bible that we normally don't like to memorize and rejoice in. But it is a promise. Acts 14, verse 22. The Apostle Paul to the early churches. After he was stoned, and then came back to the church. He reminded them through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's, that will be true of your life and my life as well. In John 15, 20, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And to the church of Philippi, Paul wrote, for to you has been granted, given by God's grace, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. So God gives two gifts to every believer. First, He gave them their faith to believe in Him. And then secondly, to suffer for Him. That's a part of our lot. It's a part of our destined plan that God has for our life. And this is a righteous determination, a righteous decision, a righteous judgment on God's part that his children follow in that pattern. Suffering now, glory later. This is actually uh, something that all uh, of God's children will be tested in. If their faith is alive, it will persevere through. Yeah, we'll stumble up and down. Peter stumbled up and down. He denied the Lord sometimes. But that, is a, that becomes the plain evidence in verse 5 of God's righteous judgment. So God is conforming us to the image of Christ through these persecutions and afflictions. But there's also one more thing added in verse 5 that all of this persevering faith in the midst of persecutions and sufferings not only molds us to the image of Christ, but it also has another purpose, and that is that we might be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Our suffering, our tribulations, our afflictions are part of how we are counted worthy for glory to go to heaven. Now, this is an, also needs some clarification. What does Paul mean when he says that you'll be considered worthy? Does this mean that in some way our, our perseverance through trials and persecutions and afflictions in some way earn us the right to enter heaven? Absolutely not. He doesn't say that it makes us worthy, but we're just counted worthy or considered worthy to be worthy. There's no merit in it because our persevering faith is ultimately from the grace of God. But nevertheless, it is a part of our being considered worthy of the kingdom. What does to be worthy mean? It means to be qualified. It means that it is appropriate and fitting for these people to enter into heaven. But based on what merit? What is it that actually makes us worthy? Well, again, it's God's grace ultimately. It's based upon our faith in Jesus Christ. It's based upon His imputed righteousness. It's based upon His blood and our faith in His, in, in His blood on the cross that took away all of our sins. That's what merits us to go to heaven. But Paul is also adding that, you know, You have to give evidence that your faith is alive. You have to give evidence that you are born again. You have to give evidence that your faith is persevering. And that will consider you to be worthy of heaven. In other words, this persevering faith becomes the badge, the evidence that we have a right to go to heaven. It's the evidence that we've been born again. It's the evidence that our faith is alive so that it counts us or considers us to be worthy of going to heaven. You know, you can't go to heaven if you don't have any evidence of sanctifying grace in your in your life. You can say all day long that you believe in Jesus and you can go to church every Sunday of your life. You will not go to heaven if you don't have some evidence. Of God's grace in your heart. That you truly have been born again. That your faith is alive. This is what the author of Hebrews was emphasizing when he said, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. If you don't have any practical sanctification, then you're spiritually dead. And you're not going to go to heaven. Now that level of sanctification will differ among believers. But if you don't have any sanctification, you will not see the Lord. See, that's a necessary evidence that your heart's been changed. That's why James could say, faith without works is dead. So there, there is a necessity to some evidence. Now the Thessalonians had that evidence. Their faith was persevering through their tribulations and persecutions and afflictions. But there's no merit in their faith. That's ultimately the work of God. They don't, they're not worthy of going to heaven because they've endured suffering. All of that is from God, but it's a necessary evidence. Now, Greg Bill, one of the commentators I've been reading, gives a helpful analogy to show that what, what makes us worthy to go to heaven? Is it the blood of Christ, faith in the blood of Christ, or is it the evidence? What makes us worthy to go to heaven? And in a sense, I think the, he says the answer is both, but you've got to understand the distinction. And the distinction he describes by saying, imagine you're going to go to a concert, or a college football game, or even fly a plane to some destination on a work uh, job assignment. So what qualifies you to enter into the stadium? What qualifies you to get on the airplane? Well, the first thing you have to do is pay the price, right? you got to pay the price for entry. So you pay out your money. But to prove and give you evidence that you've paid the money, you get a ticket. And when you show up at the gate, you've got to show them the ticket to get on. They're both necessary. If you paid the price, but you don't have a ticket, you're not going to get on that plane. Or a QR code or whatever it is on your phone. You're not going to get on the plane. If you paid the money and you go to the stadium, but you don't have a ticket, you're not going to get through the gate and get into the stadium. You really need both. You need the purchase price to be paid, but you also need the evidence. Same thing in the Christian life. The blood of Jesus Christ is a purchase payment. We can add nothing to that. But if you have received the blessings of forgiveness through His blood, His purchase price, He gives you The ticket. He gives you the evidence. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. To have the ticket does not merit you entering. It's only the evidence that you've paid. You've received the payment to get in. And I think this is a helpful illustration because it's the blood of Christ alone that merits us to go to heaven. But if you have received that Forgiveness through His blood, you also have the ticket. You have the Spirit. You have the evidence. That doesn't procure your worthiness. That doesn't actually qualify you to go to heaven in terms of meriting it, but it is necessary evidence that the price has been paid. The cost has been paid by the blood of Christ. And you've got the evidence. You've got that faith in your heart that perseveres through the ups and downs of life. You've got the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the ticket. That's the evidence. That's the badge that allows you into heaven. It's only the blood of Christ that merits it. But if you have received that by faith, you get the ticket. You get the evidence. And that's why the author of Hebrews says, if you don't have the ticket, if you don't have the evidence you will not see the Lord. They both go together. Only the blood actually purchases it. But you've got to have the evidence that it's been purchased and you're trusting in His blood. you got to have that evidence. And with the Thessalonians, their evidence was their faith. Their persevering faith. So that in Paul's language here, if I can find it. <clears throat> nope. I'll go back to the to the text that he says in verse five, that therefore it is God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. So their persevering faith, in a sense, is the evidence that they are worthy based on the blood of Christ to enter into heaven. So to kind of wrap this up by way of uh, application. So how do, we, how do we apply this to ourselves? I mean, we live in America. Uh, we don't really have any persecution to speak of, at least not, certainly not like the Thessalonians did. So how do we relate this to us? And, and how do we become, not become, but how are we counted worthy of heaven living in America today that doesn't have the persecution that they had? Well, I think there's several things we can say about this. Number one, it's a blessing to live in America. I mean, we have many, many comforts. We live a life of relative ease and prosperity unknown in most places of the world. Uh, We have very little persecution in our lives, and we are very thankful for that. We're thankful for all those blessings. Uh, We are so thankful that God has put us in a country where we can worship freely and we don't have to run for our lives or or fear. So we're extremely thankful for that. But our brethren around the world have been blessed in other ways by being persecuted. And I would venture to say that their blessings are even greater than ours. Because you see, there's a great blessing that comes when believers have to suffer persecution for the Lord Jesus Christ. Very little of which we'll ever experience in this life. But those who do experience, they have a great blessing awaiting them. That's what Jesus said to His disciples. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of Me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. They're going to have a great reward. I think, greater than our reward. So according to God's righteous judgment, the body of Christ, the church, must be conformed to His image. And part of being conformed to His image means we need to bear the cross before we wear the crown. We need to experience the groaning before the glory. So how do we do that? Well, Richard Phillips... Well, Another commentary that I've been reading asks a very challenging question of the church in America. He says, what if our our government made it illegal to be a Christian and by going to church you risked the possibility and likelihood of being arrested and thrown in jail where you may have to spend years of your life? Just imagine. We woke up. Monday morning, and there's been a coup in our country, and now it's illegal to be a Christian in America. So, how many would still come to church? Many go to church today because in peaceful times, they find a church for social reasons. They want friends. They go to find potential customers for their business. They go because their parents make them to go. How many of them will still be around if it's illegal to be a Christian? How many will still go to church? And if the church goes underground, how many will seek out an underground church? The test is quite real in other parts of the country. But dads, just think about it. You're a Christian, it's illegal. You go to church, you get arrested. You're taken away from your wife, your children. Like John Bunyan, who had a very needy family in prison for 12 years. Couldn't support them. He couldn't supply them with food. Basically turned them into beggars. Would you be willing to do that? Moms, would you be willing to be separated from your children and have them become wards of the state? Because you go worship God. And because you love Him more than you love all your stuff and you love Him more than you even love your family? Is that a price we would pay? You see, when we look and compare about what these guys at Thessalonica were going through, we see that they were paying a very heavy price for worshiping God. What would happen to us if that same circumstance came to us in America, would we have a persevering faith? Would we be willing to endure all of that because our love for Christ excels our love for anything else in this world? Or would we duck and run and no longer associate with Christians, no longer go to church, would our faith falter or would our faith persevere? That's what this passage challenges us to think about. So, what is the evidence that we are, that we are considered worthy of going to heaven? It's having a faith that perseveres when tested by persecutions and afflictions. How do we know about our own faith? Because we're not tested by persecutions and afflictions in any significant way. So how do we prepare our faith? How do we grow our faith? How do we get the assurance or the encouragement that our faith will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God when we're not going through the severity of the tribulations that the Thessalonians were going through? Because of the blessings of being in America, we're, we're not tested and tried or persecuted. So how can we prepare for whatever future persecution may come upon us? Or just to grow in the evidence that our faith is a persevering faith and we'll be worthy of the kingdom of God when the Lord comes back. Well, I think in wrapping this up, there's several things we can conclude with briefly. The first is we've got to make sure that we're trusting Christ alone to save us. You cannot interject yourself in any way into that. I I am helpless. I am hopeless. I am hell-bound by nature. I need a Savior. And I am looking to Christ alone to save me. And I cannot contribute anything to Him. You've got to make sure that you're trusting Christ alone as your Lord and Savior. That's where we begin. You've got to have a living, real faith in Christ alone. Second, the second thing we can do, even though we don't live in a country where we're being persecuted, is to trust God for the variety of afflictions that you have now in your life. If your faith can persevere through the lesser trials, it will encourage you that it will persevere if the trials should get much more costly and much greater. Trust God for the afflictions that you have now in your life. Trust His wise bestowment. Trust that He has a purpose in them. And look to Him for grace to help in time of need. Again, we may falter and stumble, but... By the grace of God, grow in your ability to trust in the Lord. And this is because our trials are designed to help us. They're designed to strengthen our faith. They're designed to bruise us and wound us so that our faith is tested. And by the grace of God, true faith, living faith, will persevere. It will rise up even if it stumbles. It will rise up and persevere. These trials are designed to be painful. They're designed to wear us out with living life in this world so that we get our eyes off of this world and onto the glory to come. So that our faith needs to persevere through the trials as as it teaches us to, to get your eyes off your problems, get them off your afflictions and look to the glory that waits ahead. Endure the suffering now because the crown is waiting by the grace of God. That's why the Apostle Paul could write, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, he said, I'm willing to endure the sufferings now because, man, what I've got waiting for me in glory with Christ is so far greater, so far more glorious. It cannot compare with what I'm suffering now for the cause of Christ. To the Corinthian church, he wrote, momentary light affliction is how he viewed all the flogging, the beatings, the stoning. Momentary. Not going to last forever. It's temporary. And it's light. It's nothing like hell. All that they've done to me is just momentary light affliction, but it's producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. See, the trials, the suffering, the persecutions, the afflictions are partly designed to get us to look with joy at what God has waiting for us. So trust God for the afflictions you're going through even now. And put those sufferings in the scales and and you'll find them like the apostles did to be basically their weight is next to nothing. Nothing. And that's why the apostles, after being flogged in Acts chapter 5, they were flogged, greatly rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So our, st- our faith is strengthened by looking to the world to come. What causes us to do that? Trials, sufferings, afflictions. It will help us to lift our eyes up and look ahead at what awaits us. And that will strengthen our faith to persevere even now. Those who are worthy of the kingdom are those willing to suffer for the King. That's how we are counted worthy. We're not made worthy by our suffering. We are considered to be worthy for whatever God has in our life. The final thing we can do, even though we're not being persecuted now, we may be in the future. Nobody knows. But to see that our faith is a persevering faith that is worthy of the kingdom to come, we need to stay in the Word of God. Because it's the Scripture that's going to help our faith persevere. I love that passage in Romans 15. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But Paul wrote to the Romans, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of what? The Scriptures. We might have hope. And now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. And verse 4 for does perseverance. What encourages perseverance? What strengthens perseverance and encouragement? The Word of God. It's the Scriptures. And how does God give us in verse 5 that perseverance and encouragement? He will give it to us through the Scriptures. And that's why we only do ourselves injury when we neglect the Word of God. And so even though we're not being persecuted now, we have many other kinds of trials and testings and troubles in our life. And if we learn to trust God in the midst of them and see that our faith is persevering, then we also can be confident of God's righteous judgment that He's doing that to His children to conform us to the image of Christ so that we'll be considered worthy of the kingdom. And that's also how we prepare ourselves in case... Persecution comes in the future. Well, I close, are you worthy of the kingdom of God? Is your faith worthy of the kingdom of God? Have you trusted Christ alone and His precious blood as payment for your sins? And do you have the evidence, do you have the ticket of a persevering faith in the midst of trials and troubles that indicates that you belong in God's kingdom. Trust in Christ. Persevere in faith, even in times of suffering, because that's the winning ticket. And may God help us all to have it. Our hope in Christ and the evidence from Him that our faith is alive and persevering even in times of trouble. So may the Lord encourage us and uh, exhort us through that. Let's close in prayer. Our Father God, we want to thank You for this amazing church in Thessalonica. Lord, they suffered for the name of Jesus Christ. Their neighbors hated them. Their government persecuted them. And through all of the afflictions that they endured, Lord, they, they persevered in their faith. They did not fall away. They continued to identify themselves with Jesus Christ. They would not renounce Him. And so their persevering faith was clear evidence of God's righteous work and that they, by faith in Christ, was worthy of the eternal kingdom. And Lord, we can only pray that as... And thank You, Lord, that we are not persecuted. We may be one day. But Lord, You have also tried our faith through many troubles and discouragements and tribulations. There may be many in this room, even now, who can pause and think of the troubles and trials in their faith and, and it's a temptation to become anxious and fearful and worried and panic. And Lord, we just need the Spirit of God to confirm this faith in our hearts. To give us grace to trust in Christ. To know that He has ordained it for our good. That He's going to ultimately use it to conform us more to the image of Christ. That there's a good, holy purpose behind every trial that's in our life, so that we might learn to look to You and trust in You, knowing that glory in the crown waits ahead, none of which we have merited, but only because of what Christ has done and is doing in us now. So Lord, help us in those areas where we're struggling, where our unbelief is growing. Lord, just help us to trust You and to find Your joy and peace as we look forward to the day when we will be with You forever and ever. So grow our strength that we might be counted worthy of Your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.